everybody, it's Nat. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. And today, we are we are breaking free from what we usually do. We um we are we are skipping anything's possible this week for a very exciting, exclusive interview this week with someone deep, deep in the esports industry. Um, someone I've had the pleasure of knowing the past few years, I had the pleasure to work with a little while ago, the wonderful Sabrina Wong. Sabrina, what's up? Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me today. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. So why don't you uh, kind of tell the, the wonderful people, our you know, 50,000 listeners, a little bit about what you're about and kind of your history with gaming, esports, and what exactly it is you do in the space. Sounds good. Yeah. So I'm going to try to give as brief of a synopsis as I can, because uh, Matt here also knows that I've been kind of all over the place, um, even since high school. So to kind of get started, um, I was mostly a PC gamer growing up. Uh, I kind of started on things like Neopets and things like that. But when you went through and, you know, went through the RuneScapes and the Maple Stories, and then you end up getting Steam and Battle.net, um, I've always been a gamer and it's been a big passion of mine. I think what I really figured out when I w- what I wanted to do with gaming though was probably in high school when I got involved with esports specifically. And for any listeners who don't really know what esports is, the TLDR of it is that it's a competitive way to play video games, whether that's by yourself or with someone else or against someone. Um, that's all falls under esports. So. In esports, I kind of fell in love with it with this title called League of Legends, very big game. Um, And from then on, I was hungry to find opportunities. So starting in high school, I did a lot of contract work with um, literally anything I could probably do, whether someone was like, hey, do you want to make some memes? I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Um, (laughs) I've done some crazy things. I've worked for um, some like Chinese mobile game company as like a representative a long time ago. Yeah, which is wild and a whole story on itself um but i've also done really cool stuff like work at blizzard as a blizzard intern in 2017 specifically in the esports department of tespa and as matt is repping <laughs> uh, he was my partner for that so that was really yeah. exciting and fun um we did some good stuff and following that um i was able to follow into my career in the esports industry um i've been a full-time at immortals which is a tier one esports org 100 thieves as a team manager and currently at evil geniuses as a culture program specialist and that kind of just means because everyone asks me what does that mean um it means that i basically innovate and develop programs here at evil geniuses that deal with culture community and um education so First off, I run a collegiate, which is basically an educational kind of subsection of Evil Geniuses where we run events, we support them, as well as create internship to a full-time employee kind of track. And I was able to make that program there. Number two is that I do merchandise strategy, and that also kind of plays in with my side gig, which I own a esports inclusive apparel company called Killsteel, a completely independent project, which is a lot of fun. And finally, at EG, I also do diversity and inclusion, which is something that I really love talking about and educating about. So that's kind of a big summary of who I am. We'll probably get into more to, into, the, uh, into the podcast, but thank you for listening to my big spiel. It's a great resume. <laughs> thank you. Thank for you. For sure. My favorite part was the RuneScape Neopet. I know, yeah, that was like so relatable. I just RuneScape and Neopets, I feel like is every I guess I guess we're millennials, right? We're it's like the gateway millennials. Oh, That's like the gateway millennial <laughs> video game that everyone played when they were younger. 
yeah, wore this uh, wore this by design today. The old Blizzard intern esports shirt. Wonderful, wonderful time there. Very crazy and hectic summer working for Tespa, but uh, a lot of fun and definitely a lot of great memories and a lot of great connections were made as well. Um, so I kind of want to dig in first to some of your more like startup stuff because I mean you've had a crazy and really just kind of the last year and a half for you because. I mean, I, I keep up with you on Twitter and we chat in here and there and you kind of do, you're like all over the place and you're doing so much. It's insane. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the last year and a half you were, and by extension, even if we take it back two years further, you're working for uh, Immortals slash Ellie Valiant, right? Mm-hmm. With doing events ago. for them. And then you went and started working as a team manager for 100 yep. Thieves. <laughs> and then while you're at 100 Thieves, you started your own apparel brand. Yep. Um, Kill Steel. Yep. <laughs> Little 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 rival to 100 Thieves there, maybe. <laughs> and then uh, after serving as league team manager at 100 Thieves, you went to work at EG, where you were their team ops manager yes. there for the League of Legends. And then now, obviously, you're the culture program specialist. And if I think I've seen correctly on Twitter, you've also started, or maybe it's in the works of still being announced, um, Starlust, which is uh, a makeup lifestyle brand. Is that correct? Yeah. I, first off, Matt, I am impressed you totally know the timeline uh to a t but yo I, know, I, I dug into that late <laughs> thank you uh, I, I, like, I did update that recently <laughs> um but no you're absolutely right i've definitely been into a lot of different projects while i'm doing full-time work and i i think that comes from our kind of background as um i don't know innovative creators like you know first off being like a millennial gen z kind of in the middle we we were exposed to so much media growing up and we were also exposed to kind of the education of like if you want to do something just do it at least for me right um and we see a lot of entrepreneurship and those kinds of role models within the space so when it came to me growing up and hitting my 20s i kind of just said heck it i'm going to try anything i can i I have the income to kind of support myself now and I'm able to dive deep into these kinds of projects. So I think there was a lot of opportunity there for me to kind of branch out and try these things. And when it came to things like Kill Steel, and as you mentioned, a lot of people asked me, like, how did you start Kill Steel? Or why did you start Kill Steel while working at 100 Thieves? And as much as I can say 100 Thieves inspired me to get into apparel, it wasn't my first touch with apparel. I actually had my own apparel brand that I handmade and like created product for in high school. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Really? So okay, pre-2014. Um, and Kill Steel was founded in 2019. So there was some time in between there where I was already experimenting. And I kind of launched the brand within 2019 because previous to my jobs, uh, at 100 Thieves and Evil Geniuses, I was a creative. I was creating artwork. I was creating projects. Um, and going into 100 Thieves as a team manager and Evil Geniuses as a team manager, I was, you know, strapped on, locked on, making sure that player relations and talent relations were perfect and to a T and supporting them anywhere I could, right? But the problem with those and jobs and ops, right, is that you kind of lack the creative energy um, output mm-hmm. to, like, really make things different and cool like I'm supporting the players on a day-to-day basis as well as making sure that they perform to the best that they can but at the same time like I want to make stuff so that's why Killsteel and uh, Starless really came up is that they're kind of creative outlets more than um, revenue drivers for me so sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Really cool. Uh, yeah, I totally know what you mean too on like the creative out things. I know. I mean, Lucas and I have this conversation like every day. I mean, we're both in 
um, day jobs where it's like not obviously creative geared or we're not really able to express ourselves and being able to work on something, have an outlet like this podcast, for example, and other small projects we're working on is like just unreal. So you're, so those are more like just passion projects for you. Or do you have visions of like making them bigger? Like, is there any, is there any future five years out for you where kill steel and Starlust are like the next, you know, hundred thieves or what have you or something like that? Or is it, you're wanting to keep it kind of more on the low end? Yeah. I mean, I think that there is definitely some five year stretch goals that we have for both brands and we are working towards those. There's some like really cool things that we actually have, um, in the lab that we're kind of building up right now that you'll probably see in a couple months. Um, but, you know, the thing is, it's like when we look at esports organizations like 100 Thieves and FaZe, which, you know, some people say, like, is that what Killsteel is? Is that, like, what you're trying to do? It's really not. I think that um, sure. there's a little bit of a difference because those are brands that are built, like, with a gaming fundamental lens but are kind of marketed in a way that are unconventional to the esports space, right? And I would say Killsteel is almost the opposite. Like, we're building an apparel brand under, like with esports influence but could be worn by anyone versus the okay side, right? I see yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so more holistic exactly kinda, or more in more general more general yeah. market general market um yeah. a little bit more influenced by like pop culture itself rather than gaming specifically but falls under the market of esports and i think a lot of people kind of get that from the brand and as we build out the brand again I kind of have like three jobs at my one job and then I have two extra jobs. Um, So we're building it slowly. But at the same time, I think that, you know, we are pursuing projects that align with our values a little bit stronger and are able to showcase that, hey, we are an inclusive brand that want to include all size, shapes, aesthetics, you name it. Like we want to make it for you. So that's kind of the direction it's going. Really cool. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> where, do you, where do you see um, like things going uh, more in the future? I mean, so many of these esports brands are really turning into like apparel-driven, um, you know, main sources of revenue. You know, they're building out these, you know, partnering with celebrities or, you know, investors and kind of going the route of like selling something like apparel straight up. I mean, do you see these brands going a different direction, things like education or, you know, outreach? Which sounds like you do a little bit of that already, but I'm just curious to see how far you think that's going to go. This is a great question because I think Mm -hmm. that everyone is trying different things actually in the esports realm, right? When we look at tier one esports, which again, like is, you know, the teams that have the most funding, have a lot of competitive success and are able to kind of draw in the mainstream media the most, uh, we look at people testing different things because I think that there's no right answer right now, right? We've gotten to the point, like let's say esports is in a timeline with like a generalization, right? Like it started as like people who just wanted to play games and like make teams and had no structure and had no idea what they were doing to an influx of um, money kind of coming into this space and fulfilling those spots. And now you're seeing people with this money figuring out, Hey, how do I, how do I pay that back? You know, like that's kind of the question people are thinking about in the next three years. And I think, that you brought up some amazing examples. Some people are trying to go to a lifestyle um, content creation apparel brand. And I think that's because we've seen that work in different industries, you know, YouTube basically and content creation. Mm-hmm. We're also seeing the opposite or a different kind of, I don't know, strategy where it's 
more education based. Yeah. It's a little bit more structured um, and relevant to schools, especially colleges. People are investing more in that, and the youth. Um, that's a different way. And I think the third way that we've kind of seen is following a competitive sports structure where people are, um, you know, more likely to partner with comp- like traditional competitive sports and follow that kind of revenue uh, line. Now, who's really doing it the best and who's doing the worst? I mean, it depends who you're asking, right? Like, you know, I think general fandom tends to appreciate teams that have that lifestyle brand because it's more familiar, it's more congruous, it makes more sense next to each other. But in mm-hmm. the long term, we're not really sure actually where esports is going to go. And I think that in the next three years, this is a very important time for esports and competitive gaming to really figure out, like, is this worth it? You know, I mean, the reality is. What direction? What direction they're right. they're meant to be going? That's yeah, so like are true, we gonna yeah. have are we gonna have high school league teams as like a standard thing for high schools? You know, we're gonna have like you know because we're entering the college space with a lot of these mm-hmm. things, like you've said. Um, so it's interesting to see that come about in the, in the last few years. But you know, how far exactly. can you really go? Is always what I'm thinking, right? So time will tell. Yeah, I kind of wanted to touch on some of the like college esports stuff as well in general because I mean I know Sabrina obviously um, your whole background is in, or not hold back, but a lot of your background comes from the college esports scene from, um, you know, being the president of Highlander Gaming, UCR's uh, gaming club, to working now as the collegiate, um, or to working very heavily on the collegiate stuff at EG, and also uh, having worked as the, one of the TESPA interns uh, with Blizzard. So how do you see collegiate shaping up over the next few years? Because uh, obviously, unfortunately, recently TESPA at Blizzard has been, um, I I guess disbanded or um, shut down for the time being. So, you guys want to explain TESPA for those of us that don't? Charlotte's yeah, TESPA. Well, I mean, I can go into the history and stuff, which me and Matt know very well. But I mean, to really kind of summarize it, it was the collegiate sector of Blizzard, right? TESPA ran a ton of tournaments with uh, Blizzard and non-Blizzard titles for many years, and was kind of the forefront of adding that foundation for clubs that were just getting started, like that had no. Uh, support from their schools or administrations, didn't have support from monetary support or anything. And TESPA kind of came in as this chapter system that Matt actually worked on to support these uh, little clubs all across the country and make them bigger and better and basically added this big network. So they had a competitive sector as well as a community sector. And uh, me and Matt worked on the community side. Got it. Yeah, Yeah, so... I guess, what do you see as the future for collegiate kind of maybe like long-term five years? Because at least from my um, my perspective outside looking in, because I've been pretty detached from the, um, you know, I guess working side of esports for a while, and really since I left Blizzard and stopped doing like Smash tournaments and stuff. But where do you see collegiate being in five years? Because as far as I can tell, like TESPO is such a driving force for it. I think like League has some initiatives as well, and obviously EG is working on stuff. Yeah, but where so- do you see it going? <laughs> very interesting time in the collegiate space. Number one, we're in COVID, where people aren't in schools. So these collegiate right. clubs need to find yeah. innovative ways to grow without having those in-person events like Matt ran, right? Or what I did, like in college. We were able to run these very big events with little to no resources just because we had the passion and people were interested. Now you don't really have that like attention drawing kind of event anymore for students. They have to kind of access all of this online. 
And it's also an interesting time because we're seeing a lot of teams and other outside organizations invest in collegiate. And I know TESPA, you know, disbanding or, you know, kind of renouncing the brand and moving to just collegiate, Overwatch, collegiate, StarCraft, etc. Um, is a little sad. But at the same time, I think that the collegiate market right now is very saturated. We're seeing a lot of people invest really? money okay. into the collegiate scene that we haven't seen before. And... I'm not sure actually where Collegiate is going to land in three years. There's some divisive things that are happening now that will decide where that path goes. So, you know, for context, for some people listening, you know, we see a lot of schools start varsity competitive programs. And these things are really important for not only just students who want to get involved and also be supported throughout their education while pursuing their goal as a pro gamer, but also for pro gamers to have some sort of... um, kind of educational ride to like make sure they make it because the competitive lifespan of a player is so short in esports and we see a lot of those people end up joining the collegiate circuit as a coach or as a player and finding themselves again and i think the last thing that's important about collegiate um, in the competitive side is that we're seeing a lot of tier three league of legends happen and Collegiate is part of that tier two, tier three space. So they're getting more and more competitive exercise, which means that they're getting more and more, com- you know, competitively good. And they can kind of have that co- collegiate to pro lifespan that we've been looking and dying for for many years. Um, but I don't know if schools yeah. are going to be. I mean, I, I don't know. It's This is the thing. A lot of programs, again, that are starting with Evil Geniuses, Cloud9, Gen G, these tier one esports orgs are investing. I'm. I, I'm curious to see in the next couple of years what the payoff is for sure. <laughs> and that's going to devise mm-hmm. okay. everything. Yeah. Is, yeah. And is there any, and if I'm repeating a question that's already answered, I apologize. My internet blipped out there for like maybe 20 <laughs> seconds, but um, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, it is kind of getting saturated with all the different, maybe like income or revenue streams getting poured into it. But um, is there any world you see in like maybe nine and five, like maybe 10 years out where, you know, they're filling stadiums like they do for the LCS or, if, you know, like think maybe like the March Madness, but for like um, competitive league programs in college. Is there any world where you see that happening or and it doesn't even have to be like that necessarily. Right. Because esports is so unique. But like, is there something I mean, some schools already happening? did that this year? I mean, to be honest, you know, because sports wasn't sure. able to happen during COVID, we saw a ton of schools actually throw esports events instead of that. Like, let's talk about ESPN, right? When COVID first came out and all the major leagues closed down, what did they put on? League of Legends LCS? What? That's crazy, right? And I think right. that I is that. Yeah, going to be point. a realistic piece of what we see. However, I don't know if that's exactly what the fandom wants to see, right? Like, does does collegiate want to be a mainstream traditional sports? Like, at its essence, the answer depends on who you ask. I've I've talked to some people and they said they miss that kind sure. of grindy collegiate esports experience that we had, you know, during our years. And it's changed now. It's it's definitely a different ecosystem, completely different from when me and Matt were there at 2017 to 2021. Different ecosystem. So. I, I definitely think there's a lot of different changes that are happening, especially in this upcoming year where, again, more money is being funneled into it and more people are taking it with uh, more than just a grain of salt. And how people react to that will decide what it looks like in five to ten years. 
I'm actually so glad you bring that up too regarding the yeah. like asking what do we want it to be, you know, like do we want it to stay kind of the more grindy, like maybe more grassroots um, type of thing, or do we want to go bigger and have like more larger, um, you know, devs or publishers involved, what have you? Because like I know, and obviously you know this, but Lucas and I, both of our real esports roots and kind of competitive gaming roots mm-hmm. in general comes from the Smash community, in particular Project Dem, which is like. You know, if, if Super Smash Brothers Melee is like the bottom of us, like esports support, you know, from Nintendo, then like, <laughs> then Project Dem, a mod of uh, Super Smash Brothers, yeah. is like several levels below that, like in the pits of hell. That's like, yeah. that's, that's the level of support it got. So, and I know like Lucas and I, something we always loved was how, you know, kind of grindy and I guess kind of quote undergrounded it was, you know, and how, um, grassroots and that kind of adds to a lot of the appeal of it i think so yeah it'll be yeah really really interesting to see how that shapes up yeah. I, I, I was gonna ask uh, just a quick follow-up question on all that stuff is like you know it's interesting like the espn plays league and i remember even maybe maybe six or seven years ago when i was playing a lot of league and, and paying very close attention i went to like a buffalo wild wings with some friends and like league was there on one of the t- on one of their 20 tvs and it was like the coolest thing because i felt like vindicated for a second like oh they're playing the game that I play up there next to football or you know baseball or whatever and I mean do you think that that's the direction is the audience that watches these things are they do they care that it's on you know legitimate a legitimate quote-unquote platform or are they going to stick to things like twitch are they going to stick to watching things like on on the internet on youtube live and stuff like that or um, do we need to Yeah, I mean, space, that's a great I question. I think a lot of people question. are asking themselves that now, now that Twitch has really blown up during the COVID era, right? We see things like Among Us and Rust right now, which are very hot topics, overrun traditional yeah. media. Like, more people have eyes on that kind of stuff than the stuff that's on cable or network television, right? So does that even matter anymore? Yeah, yeah. That's the big question now. And I think the answer is no. I, I think that as much as like going to that Buffalo Wild Wings and watching a league, which I also did, um, felt good and felt real, right? It felt like, <laughs> oh, this is something I can talk to my parents about now. Yeah. This is something that they can understand and grasp. Those things exactly. are important, those elements. But I think in the future, we're turning to people going to our platforms rather than us going to theirs, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd so much mo- like rather, because I still watch, uh, you know, occasional like Smash Bros. Tournament or when a big one comes out. But I watch it on Twitch. I mean, I'm not going to... I have no intention. Even if it was playing exactly. at the bar, I would not go to a bar to watch it. <laughs> um, just, just That's yeah. just my, my thought on it because it doesn't, it doesn't fit in that space. You know, like... I don't know. Just, uh, just an interesting little uh, totally. media habit there, I guess. Yeah. So we kind of touched on it a little bit how COVID's kind of changed. Um, you know, maybe like the viewing experience for a lot of people, whether it's like in the collegiate scene, collegiate colleges you know pushing out more esports content or even espn posting uh, or broadcasting in you know, a league or whatever how has has covid really drastically affected kind of like from the operational standpoint how some of these esport orgs are run like maybe 100 thieves or eg you know has it thrived has it been difficult is it like um yeah i mean i think miss? at first it, it was hard like just like any other industry people were scrambling as you or right. whoever's listening may or may not know like the lcs uh the overwatch league all these like uh, weekly kind of leaks had to be uh, shut down for a week or two just to figure out what's happening. The international for Dota 2 did not happen. So there was a lot of setbacks. But at the same time, I think it gave a lot of opportunities in different ways. So, I mean, again, I'm going to kind of pull into the content creation among us slash 
rest uh, phenomenon that's happening, that's hitting platforms that and audiences that have never been touched before because of COVID, right? Among Us is actually a two or three year old game. Oh, at yeah, this it's point. incredible. Um, I remember playing it when it first came out. And I was like, oh, it's a cute game. And that was kind of it, right? And because of content creators pushing it so hard, it was one of the most played games ever in the world, right? So COVID's definitely helped in those oh. aspects. And when it comes to esports orgs specifically, not the leagues and not the games, I think it really depends who you ask again. Um, there's some teams that have been able to be very dynamic and being able to um, figure out how to continue to produce content, um, support their players. But at the same time, all of us do have to deal with the reality of that, not just COVID, but also right. like the United States, you know, we're talking to NA lens here, um, that immigration sucks right now for everybody. <laughs> Every team you ask is going to have a little bit of struggles yeah. because esports is so international is so can be touched by anybody, right? Like you can have a team with a Swedish player, a Danish player, um, a player from South Korea, a player from China, the U S Canada, anywhere in the world, um, all together that rosters and getting people together has been difficult. I think, um, that has been, I think the most troubling, I think for esports and otherwise we are blessed to be able to play online and on the internet. Um, we have that, capability and that's why we were able to be on yeah. major television while other sports weren't so 50 50 i would say <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah yeah i'm glad i'm, I'm glad you brought up the immigration issues i just remember um lucas you remember leffen when leffen got like deported out of the u.s once when he tried <laughs> to enter for um I shouldn't be laughing. This was, I'm sorry. I, it was just this was, and this was like several years ago too that this happened. I want to say 2018 or 2017, even where um, very well known, um, <laughs> debatably infamous Smash player left and tried to enter the U.S. for a tournament, yep. and he just got turned away because he didn't have the proper visa or something. Or he, the I think TSM at the time. I don't know if he's still with them. But I mean, they it's able hard. To get the proper I mean, sponsorships right. or whatever through. So it's and incredibly now hard, yeah. infinitely harder, yeah. especially um, for sure. Yeah, 100%. So, so, I mean, just like any, yes. like the answer to everything, COVID has affected With blessings too, and yeah. curses yeah. as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, yeah, there's yeah. like nothing hasn't touched at this point. That is for well, sure. The, the, the cool thing is like in 2020, I probably played more yeah. video games than I the ever have in, in any other year, for sure. Um, so it was a good, it, yeah, 100%. it was a great year just for playing games. You know, me, me and my play group, Matt included, you know, we switched probably from, from so many different games. Among Us one week. Valorant the next week, some slippy online Smash Melee the next week. It was just all over the place. Um, not to mention the single-player games that came out all through the year that were also phenomenal. But, um, yeah, you know, yeah, blessing and a curse, totally. Yeah, it's been a hectic, <laughs> hectic year, and we'll see how 2021 shapes up pretty early, <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play that by ear. So kind of something I want to get from your perspective too, Sabrina. Um, so I think... A lot of people really glamorize working in esports, um, and I think a lot of people just kind of assume that it's like this. No, it's not. It's not really work. You're just you know you're working for esports. It's league, smash, whatever, and it's just gonna be like this glamorous thing. And by extension, working for like a gaming company too, whether that's Blizzard or EG or um, Hundred Thieves, whatever it may be. What are like some 
that you've experienced some common, I guess, like misconceptions that maybe someone wouldn't expect or might like bring yeah, someone down I mean, to reality I think you when they're a great working one, one which is that it's companies. just all play and no work, which is it's completely opposite. Um, I always tell people this, but when you're surrounded by games and it's just in your brain, it's work. Playing games is not as fun anymore. You, like, especially when league season is on. I love right. watching yeah. League of Legends. I love watching all esports. Um, but sometimes I'm just like, dude, I've spent 12 hours like just, you know, watching scrims or, you know, <laughs> making sure that like everything is good and like we're setting up um, the lobbies <laughs> correctly and everything is fine. And then you get home and you're like, dude, do I really want to play some more League of Legends? The answer is for some people is yes. But for me, sometimes it's no. Um, but no, I think that, yeah, number one is that, you know, when it comes to work, it's a lot of difficult work. It's a lot of hours and it's unconventional. You know, it's not a nine to five. Some days it's a six to ten, you know, reality when there's like a shoot or there's travel involved and all these other things. Um I think another thing as well is that a lot of people think that esports skews younger in terms of the workforce because we see a lot of public figures such as Hex, you know, currently with NRG and Nature with 100 Thieves and FaZe Banks. Um, these people are more like influencer type CEOs and people think, oh, that is the work ethic of esports. And the reality is, is that just like a content creator, they have their kind of online persona life and they have real work that they do need to do and real hard decisions that take a lot of effort um for me personally as a person who's kind of done a lot of different things in esports i'll say that it's it's a grind for sure um it's it's a lot of luck it's a lot of grind and it's it's a lot of networking as well just like any other entertainment business i would compare a lot of what esports is to the movie or tv industry i've kind of connected with a lot of people over the past years that are in those industries and they say it's quite similar um, and the last thing is that there's a surprising amount of older people in esports. Don't expect everyone in esports to know what esports is. There's a lot of people who work there that, you know, have experiences in different industries and are bringing that to the space now as we build more structure. Um, don't uh, assume everyone knows what, like, a KDA is or something like that. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the people people are going to come in inevitably to any new industry exactly. that are just profit loss people, right? Or for lack of a better word, you know, numbers people or people that don't have don't totally. need to know anything about video games in order to do their job, right? So you're probably going to run into all those people, and you're probably going to continue to run into those people as esports grows and grows, which is very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any? Um, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, Matt. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. I was just going to ask. So I know uh, this is like a golden question that. Uh, I'm sure you've probably experienced a million times and you have people people asking you, probably DMing you on Twitter or LinkedIn, whatever it may be. So I'm, I'm, I want uh, this answer out there in the world for the people. This is going to be the one-stop shop for this answer going forward on the internet. What do people have to do to get into esports in the gaming industry? What's, yeah, uh, what mean, connections do they make? What kind Matt, of resume do they need to build? I have to refer to you. That, I mean, we have two different, very different paths, you know, before 2017 into this space. And I think we both ended up in a similar position. And I think that's kind of the summary of the answer, right? Is that for everyone, it's different. Uh, I I came from a very collegiate-centric background. I, I was in the LA area already, so I was able to have those in-person networking opportunities. Um, but at the same time, I kind of fell into some things. And most of the, uh, most of the opportunities I was able to really leverage and kind of have to build my career that were milestones were honestly things that 
I didn't expect to happen. Like someone said something and I, I was referred or like I was at an event once and I said, Hey, I, I would love to do this for you. And I, and I got the job. Like those experiences always happen. And I, I kind of want to open the answer to you, Matt, because I, I would love to you to share your journey, which is we, we were at for context for the listeners. Yeah. It's like we were partners <laughs> and we had completely different backgrounds. So it was really educating. Yeah. I mean, I would just say kind of, I mean, echoing everything you said, but just, I guess always making yourself available for any opportunity it may be. Whether it's something as simple as volunteering at like a local land, once this can happen again, um, a local local land event or taking initiative. Like for me, what I was able to do to kind of, I guess, quote, stand out when I was trying to get to Blizzard was, um, you know, I hosted my own Smash Brothers uh, tournaments and really was able to kind of leverage that saying, hey, here's me taking initiative, you know, let me bring that initiative to you guys as well. So really, I guess actually my ultimate answer yeah. is when you don't have a spot in it yet, make your own spot. Um, and kind of force your way in there and say, Hey, you can't ignore me anymore. I've done something cool. I made it myself. Let's do something cool together now. Um, I think that's, that's my biggest piece of advice on that front. And then the obvious, you know, networking stuff and, um, just, just being involved in any way possible really is the and best. And be nice. Um, like, that's the, the best answer half I think anyone the can fight have. is just being nice. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be a, don't be a dick. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's not hard to be nice people. I think, um, if, if there's anything we can do this year for each other, just, just be nice. Yeah. (laughs) Just hearing, hearing you two speak about it all. This is really great. Just for our audience out there. This is also just very great career advice in general. Be nice, make connections, make a name for yourself. It's only been around for a couple of years, you know, realistically with some structure. And because of that, you have the opportunity now to make that big impact where people are going to notice. I I still get messages to this day of like, hey, you did this like really cool project or I saw you post this a couple years ago and it still like lives rent free in my brain. And I'm like, that's the opportunity we have, you know, as young people entering the space (laughs) is that we can you know, connect with each other, build each other up, um, share ideas and, you know, shoot for the stars. We still have the opportunity. We don't have that opportunity. Industries have existed for hundreds of years. There's already big wigs at the top that, you know, got their thing. But we have a lot of young people <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is crazy how much things are moving. Cause I remember even like in 2017 when you and I were working together, we were having these conversations about like, Oh, everything's so young. We can really yeah. shape the future. And like, we're here in 2021 and that's still the case. You know, we still have that opportunity to kind of shape the future of, um, you know, esports and gaming industry by large, really just to kind of really push it in the direction, um, give it then a little nudge, maybe the direction we want it to go or something we want to see implemented. So don't be afraid to, uh, to put your ideas out there, folks. I think that's a, I think that's what we're getting at. <laughs> cool. All righty, Sabrina. Um, Last, last final question. We love to ask any, any guests we have on the podcast. Favorite video game yeah. of all time? Wow. This is, there's so <laughs> games the that I, I kind of put in my top have. five when I get asked this question. Um, I can't choose one. Obviously, number one, I think that people expect and I think is dear to my heart is obviously League of Legends. It's what's built my career. It's what inspired me to pursue esports was getting into league games and raging at people <laughs> and going and living that lifestyle. Like I love league as a game as much as <laughs> you have to think about it. League is a game where nothing changes. Like it's been the same map. The only thing is like, there's different, the random factor is the champions, but every time you load into a league game, 
it's the same map, you know? Like, they're trying to add a little bit different things, like elements like the dragons and whatever, but the replayability of a game like that is so strong that yeah. I have to respect it a lot. Um, I think a cult favorite of mine is probably Metal Slug, which, if people aren't very familiar with, is a very old game. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I used to play it after school all the time. <laughs> Love Metal Slug. It's a Slug. lot of fun. Love Metal Slug. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like <laughs> yeah. going to like pizza parlors growing up exactly. and like, looking for that game in the arcade corner every time. It yeah, is. Yeah. It's honestly a still it's a beautiful game. Even it's now. really it good. Looks, yeah. it looks great. It's got that great pixel art, exactly. like, very soft colors and everything. I mean, on those it just drew my parlor. attention ah, with the art style. Couldn't, couldn't and eat. again, as you yeah. said, it just it's held up very well. So I, I have to say that's probably in the top there. And I guess to kind of wrap it up, um, my quarantine favorite has really been Animal Crossing: New Horizons. I played Animal Crossing as a child it's just been a great quarantine game like the world is just like a hot mess and you can't go outside and in animal crossing i can like you know plant flowers (laughs) like pay my rent and like with no like (laughs) no like fees (laughs) and stuff it's just perfect utopia so i think animal crossing is definitely up there for me as well (laughs) (laughs) thank you yeah, great, great little rounded choices there. You got Metal Slug, you got League of Legends, and you got Animal Crossing. You, it's funny you mentioned League of Legends doesn't change. You know, it's it's so true. There's like this thing about League. It's like the same map. You got Dragon, you got Baron. You just you have one objective every time. But like, you could be like me and not play for a couple of years, and all of a sudden Pantheon's the best support in the game, and you don't know what the hell's going on anymore. Um, it's always it's always funny because it's like it's always staying the same, but things change yeah, enough. To, to exactly. Where, Graves isn't even an AD carry anymore. What the hell happened? <laughs> I, how did that guy make, When did you start jungling as that guy? When did Nunu get good? I'm confused. Totally. That, I feel that, that, that as tends well. to happen to me every time I log in. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we got today. Sabrina, this was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming to hang out with us. And where can all of our wonder, wonderful listeners find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Savvy, uh, Instagram Sabrina.Wong. And if you want to add me on LinkedIn, I won't be opposed to it. I'm Sabrina Wong on there as well. I will support <laughs> the you. Plug. That's yeah, great. very rare. But I mean, have you seen LinkedIn as social media? Like, it's crazy out there. Completely oh my God. Different. I'm little rant. I'm. <laughs> I'm a recruiter right now. I work as a recruiter. (laughs) I am literally always on LinkedIn.com. And oh my God, I'm like kind of sick of it actually. (laughs) There's so many posts where it's like 53 job interviews. That's how many times it took for me to realize I spilled my name wrong on my resume (laughs) or something like that. You know, it's just like, um, it's just insane. Um, I feel you. I'm I'm trying to understand slowly, um, but I, I cannot fathom what you have to go through on that uh social media it's definitely the next actually it'll be really interesting to see how linkedin shapes shakes up maybe we'll see linkedin influencers over the next five ten years there is probably uh, i'm sure there there are some like small scale but like i wonder if we'll see like really monetized in the future you know that'd be that'd be uh maybe it already is happening even i don't see it that'd be interesting sounds like a dark it's like a black mirror yeah i was gonna say that's black mirror (laughs) yeah yeah cool all right everybody well that's all the time we got today as always if you want to hit us up on instagram or twitter can follow us at tfp podcast or shoot tfp podcasts with an s at the end or shoot us an email thanks for playing pod at gmail.com sabrina again thank you so much for the time we appreciate it thank you and everyone have a wonderful night and as always skip it a bop
Thanks for Playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle. <laughs>